Sydenham Hospital was in Harlem, in the center of Harlem, and had been a hospital that I believe was started in the 1920s. And when it was started, it was a hospital for that community, and it was already a predominantly minority community, a black community, African-American, Negro community, we called it in those days. And the patients who were seen there were mainly Negro, but some white people living in the adjoining areas. But in the first years, all of the doctors were white. And this was not uncommon. Uh, it was a not-for-profit hospital, what we call in New York a voluntary hospital. And such hospitals had their boards of trustees who were reflecting the dominant views of the country. And in those days, the power was, health care power was in the hands of the dominant group in our society, Euro-Americans, European-Americans not black people. And for many years, the hospital did serve people in that community and elsewhere, but black doctors weren't allowed there. I don't know all the circumstances of change, but I remember by the time that I was in medical school in the late, uh, late 40s, I remember beginning to hear that things were changing at Sydenham Hospital. And then a few years later, by the late 40s, Sydenham accepted black doctors to have appointments there, could bring their patients there. And for a while, Sydenham was the only hospital in New York City that had not-for-profit hospital, voluntary hospital, that had a sizable number of black doctors on its staff. Even the public hospital, Harlem Hospital, in the neighborhood had only recently had black physicians on its staff. That came about with the pressure of people in the community of doctors in Harlem, and particularly came about after a doctor, surgeon, Dr. Louis T. Wright, was the first black person uh, physician to be on the staff at Harlem Hospital after he was appointed at Harlem. And other black people were allowed admitting privileges. That set a bit of the tone for what was the public hospital system. But the not-for-profits were far behind. So that Sydenham was seen when black doctors were allowed attending privileges and admitting privileges. You could bring your patients in and follow them in the hospital. was seen as being in the advance the vanguard of change. So it already had a little bit of the idea of it has changed from what it used to be and it is now serving our community but with black people as well as white doctors. You know, <clears throat> when, when you're small, you're a target. And Sydenham was a small hospital, 300, 400, some, a few hundred beds. That's small in New York City hospitals. Uh, hospitals in New York City, that's a small one. When you also are not necessarily uh, have the history and the prestige that other institutions have that may make you less, uh, less strong, more vulnerable also. So it's the size, it's the fact that it wasn't prestigious except in the mind of black doctors who saw this as a place that had 
move their cause forward. And maybe also because it wasn't necessarily keeping up to some of the more advanced uh, successes that had been achieved in other institutions. So when times came to recommend cuts and plans were, yes, let's cut back city hospitals. Seidenham by now had left the realm of the not-for-profit and become part of the city hospital system because people thought that would help save it. This was one of the earlier stages. And it seemed, all right, it's an advance. You've moved into the health and hospital systems, the public hospital system. You'll be secure in a place. There'll be a city hospital. Nobody's ever going to eliminate a city hospital. But little did people who thought that way know that when the fiscal crisis arose in New York City, you cut those who are the weakest and you cut where you can save money. I, I, I had orders to support the closing because that was the city policy that as Modipe had said, first there had been years ago recommendations that it be closed and then later that had been rescinded and later recommendations that it stay open and that had been sort of put on a It did stay open, struggling along. By the time that uh, the late 70s, 79, 78, 79, when the next annual budget crunch came, uh, we knew that we heard what happened, what had to happen. We knew that um, there would be uh, difficult decisions we had to make and that uh, this is what happens when you're in public service. You're probably not supposed to make those decisions on your own. You have to take into account what the policy of the governmental organization which you work, or the organization to which you belong. And so after doing research and thinking about it, I realized that in that part of West Harlem, there still was a gap in acute care services. There, even though there were beds unfilled, there were people overcrowding one particular institution like Harlem when they could have, in a more rational system, have been treated at Sydenham. So I thought, the system isn't working, but it could work. I also thought there is an importance to this institution as a symbol of the first integrated not-for-profit hospital in this city. And it's an institution that needs to remain partly for its symbolic and partly for its reality function. But I also thought that there is no plan afoot that I had heard of as a member of the board of the Health and Hospitals Corporation of what is going to happen to the people in obstetrics or here or there or whatever it was, whichever uh, department, who aren't able to be seen at a crowded Harlem and who, if they were to go to Presbyterian Hospital, as some miles up north, didn't always necessarily receive the most respectful part of care because taking care of patients is not just taking care of the mind and the body, but it's the way you relate as a doctor to your patients that has something to do with the quality of care. So I thought that they're not, the alternatives for people are not necessarily the best. 
And then I also thought that there may be other ways, I not only thought, didn't think this up by myself, but saw information presented to me that showed that there were alternative places where money could be saved within the system. And so I decided to raise these points with my own board. As my department, as the Department of Mental Health, had an, a, an advisory board that guided me, and I raised them, and the board agreed that the, there were enough reservations there that I could abstain uh, from voting if I didn't want to, and uh, vote yes. And I also looked at information that I had that showed maybe there would be money that would be saved here and there, not by closing institutions, but by cutting back in programs and expanding others. And so I raised these questions with the mayor, and he had none of them, absolutely wouldn't want to have any of it. And it was an, where I didn't want to be disrespectful of him, but I said that I would have to think about it. And I did think about it, and in the closing and the final decision, the vote, I believe, was nine for closing of the board of the Health and Hospitals Corporation and six of us who voted against it. Hospitals uh, symbolize a lot. That hospital, as we said, symbolized the first place where black doctors could work. And so symbolically it represented something we'd moved forward on. Uh, hospitals for many black people who don't, didn't have other community resources except the church, whose schools were not necessarily conceived by them to be under their control, uh, the hospital became something that represented where they had some power. So that why didn't it become the schools? The schools did become a place of protest in Brooklyn, you know, Ocean Hill, Brownsville. Uh, how and the schools never took over? The issue of uh, controlling our schools never became as dominant as it did in Brooklyn. Why those hospitals? Well, you know, they, for many people, symbolize life or death. So I think those emotional factors were there. And it may also be that, you know, you had some people who were, as I said, one of the people on the board of our Health and Hospitals Corporation, Diane Lacey, had been active as a community activist, and one of the people who was selected to be on the board and who brought her activism with her so that there were, these were the times when, and her activism was in health, health. So these were the times where you knew that there were only so many issues, so many fronts you could fight on, and if health seemed to be one, health is symbolizing you know, your ability to work, your ability to live, your ability to work, your sense of well-being, so it had the emotional factor as well. Well, I, one of the one of the things that people talked about then was the um, the disparities. Well, they didn't talk about it as much then as later. They, they talked then about the fact that the African American urban community had high incidence of tuberculosis, say in the 50s and 60s, uh, had a high incidence of heart disease, of hypertension, of stroke, of deaths and injuries by violence of, um, what else? Well, we know those, diabetes, 
and every one of the things that I just mentioned still exists. Now the numbers uh, have changed. I would say uh, we know people are being diagnosed earlier with the killers, the chronic diseases, heart disease and hypertension, stroke. Well, stro you don't, can't diagnose. Well, the, you can diagnose the risk for stroke earlier. People are being uh, treated earlier. Excuse me, they are getting into the healthcare system earlier than they were back then. But we also know that now that one of the things that one of the measures we use is the disparity, the difference between the rate of the dis disorders that, and disabilities that I mentioned in this particular group, say urban African Americans, and the total society as a whole, those disparities are great. If you just looked at the white, non-Latino, non-Asian, non-Native American uh, urban um, community and the African American, the disparities are just as great as they were and in some areas they're even greater. The disease that was just beginning to be diagnosed in those days of HIV AIDS, we now know is increasing particularly in African-American women from both heterosexual contact and contact with people who have themselves got it from drug use perhaps, um, so that those diseases are increasing. The, disease, the, um, the death rate among youth, black youth, back in those days was high it's even higher now, and particularly, as we know, the death rate from guns and from violence and from intra-group violence. And of course, the other thing that remains is that the disproportionality of people in black communities being poor as, composed to, as compared to the society as a whole, that is still there. So there is a bigger middle class than there was back in Sydenham days, Sydenham closing days, but there's also a, a bigger poor class, poorer class, people stuck in poverty and not necessarily able to see education or work as an outcome.